Okay then, let's get this podcast on the road. First of all, it's nice to be back and on time. Um, Doing the sort of late editions of these podcasts, well, it was was a bit... A bit painful, really. I do like getting stuff out on time, but, you know, things get in the way, uh, work, and there was plenty of other family commitments and things that sadly occurred that needed sorting out. So the podcast, which is one of those things, it just ends up being shoved to one side. Anyway, we're here now. Plenty of photography links. There's some great underwater photography, and I've also got... A photography podcast that I like, which is quite unusual because I don't actually like that many photography podcasts, ironically. First of all, news. Uh, Well, Fujifilm have said that their film prices are going to go up by a considerable margin, double figures, which I would imagine probably means that they're going to go up by about 33%. I would be... Most disappointed if they went up by any more than that. Uh, Fuji say that it's all to do with the cost of manufacturing and uh, the cost of uh, materials and things to make the film, etc., etc. And at the end of the day, they can't take the the extra financial hit. It's got to be passed on to the customer. I can imagine this um, happening with Ilford and Kodak material as well. Uh, film has gone up by quite a considerable margin in the last few years about 10 years ago in the uk you could get a roll of film for certainly under five pounds on the high street these days you're talking about you know 650 seven pounds 750 a roll so it is getting quite expensive is is the best way and also the other thing is is they don't carry the quantity i went and emptied penzance uh jessup's uh, Jessup's been the uh, the main high street photography store in the UK. I went and emptied them out of black and white film about 18 months ago. I uh, went in there and said, you know, what, what black and white film have you got? They've got seven rolls. Uh, I think I came, up with, came out with two rolls of FP4, two rolls of HP5. There was a, a roll of Delta 400, and then there was like two rolls of Delta 100 or something like that. And... That's all they had in the shop until they stocked up next time, which I found quite amazing. So, uh, obviously, they're either not selling it or they're not wanting to stock it, which is rather unusual when you consider that, um, you know, if you... I would be trying to encourage film photography if I was Jessup's because, you know, if you use the stuff, you've got to replace it. Where you're going to get replacement film at, you're going to go to Jessup's, aren't you? So... I would have thought it would have been in their interest to try and uh, encourage film photography and encourage people who uh, may have digital cameras to say, well, yeah, that's one way of taking a photo, but there's another way of taking a photo. You could try using film. You could get a cheap camera off of eBay and you could start, uh, you know, with a different photography experience because that's definitely what film is. I love film photography, I love digital photography, I love them both. Um, I I think they're different sides of the same coin. Um, but with that said, I think we are reaching a point where film is 
starting to become uh, maybe a bit of a luxury item. Well, not a luxury item. That's a bit of a stupid way of putting it. But but it is certainly becoming an economic factor in taking pictures. Uh, but my argument is is that if someone like uh, Impossible, the Impossible Project, um, can come up with a business model for Polaroid film, then surely there is a market for 35 mil, and certainly there must be a market at the moment for 120 and 5.4. It probably will get more and more expensive, but there are ways and means that you can get around that, especially on the high street. I mean, quite honestly, I do very, very little shopping at Jessup's now. I used to be in there on a regular basis a few years ago, but they stock absolutely nothing. The place that I use to get films is Discount Films Direct. They're a UK website. They stock everything from 5.4 right down to 35 mil. Their prices are pretty good. Uh, they have good stocks and they sell all sorts of other little bits as well. Photography bits and pieces. Uh, batteries I think they also do possibly. But There's also eBay where you can get films. So there are plenty of places where you can certainly cut the cost down a bit. Uh, but quite honestly, getting film on the high street now is is just not not worth it. And uh, there's virtually no chance now of uh, getting any film developer on the high street. There are one or two independent photography stores still out there in the UK, but they are very, very far and few between now. So I just suppose I will just have to put up with it and just save up for my next roll of film. So what have I been up to recently? Well, you know, there's been the usual sort of uh, photography gigs, etc. One of the things I've been trying to develop even further is my Redbubble site where I sell work. I want to try and get as much on there as I possibly can this year. At the moment, I've got 113 images, which uh, I, I counted that today, and I was I was most surprised. I, I thought it was certainly under 100. I was thinking more of about 70, 75. But anyway, there's 113 on there, and I want to add uh, a lot more. I want to add a lot more colour as well. It is very black and white orientated at the moment, but I, I have one or two things uh, that are going to occur that uh, will boost the colour photography on there. One of them is photography in the Highlands. I want to try and get a lot of stuff there. One for the book, but also I usually have uh, some pictures that you can also buy on there. Prices range from about £60 for a, uh, a framed print, which I don't think is too bad, up to a, up to 100 There is also the photography print shop, which is a bit more specialised, that does the fine art prints, limited editions and things, uh, and that's aided with uh, the help of the Photomoto e-commerce engine, which is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant service. If you have a website, if you have a blog, and you want to sell your work, I would take a look at photomoto.com. I know I've mentioned them before on the podcast, but it really is a simple solution and they've uh, greatly improved the service over the uh, since their launch which i think was about three or four years ago now it was, it was very very basic what they were offering but now they've got a, a brilliant brilliant uh, e-commerce system that uh, is easy to set up and it looks great as well they're adding new products new lines all the time and it's just a, a a simple way of selling your work. It's as simple as that. 
Red Bubble, I do have one or two issues with them. Uh, I suppose the biggest one is is the markup. With a hundred pound framed print, which I think is just about you know right for the right price for my work. I I want my work to be affordable or at least reasonably affordable. Um, but I only make about 25% profit on that £100. So as you can imagine, you know, it, it's not a huge uh, amount to make with each sale. The way that I've um, justified it to myself is by saying that with Redbubble, it's about um, quantity. It's about being people being able to buy the photography that they they want i don't want to under undersell my work but i don't want to oversell it either uh, you know some people decide that they want 300 400 500 they come up with some number from somewhere and say that they want it for their their work well quite honestly i'd be very surprised if they get get it whereas i like the idea of a canvas print uh been on the wall somewhere that someone is enjoying and I've made a bit out of it Redbubble have made a bit out of it and hopefully it might lead to to more sales Redbubble is about quantity of sales it's about getting as many sales there as possible rather than just making one big profit from one sale so there are two alternatives there I have tried others um image kind <laughs> I tried for about three years, but I didn't like the idea of paying for the service, not when I could use somewhere like Redbubble for free. Um, Cafe Press, again, I it was great what they were trying to do, but to be honest, it didn't seem to really work for me. Um, whereas Redbubble, I, I, have sold, uh, I have sold work on there, which is it's always nice when someone likes your work that much they're willing to pay for it um there is a lot of talk out there you know about how photography is is cheap and there's a lot of it out there well i always think that if uh, someone really likes something they will pay for it if it's the right price and really for me that's what red bubble uh, my red bubble uh, page is about it's about great photography at a decent price not a stupid price i mean some of these I, i'm not going to become uh like Cindy Sherman, um, a millionaire overnight. I mean, it'd be very nice if I could. Um, of course, it's the old dilemma of... Uh, I would never pay a million pounds for a photograph. But if someone came to me and said, I like that photograph that much, I, w I will pay you a million pounds, you'd be stupid not to take it, wouldn't you? So there's there's a bit of a uh, an irony there, I always think. It's link time on the podcast, and we start off with a podcast link first of all. Um, Hungry Eye magazine started around about 12 months ago, I believe. It's a new magazine dedicated to looking at the work of filmmakers and photographers, and they seem as though they do a really good job as well. They also have a great photography podcast that comes out on a regular basis, it focuses in on different aspects of photography, photography education, uh, documentary photography, what filmmakers are up to, how they work, how they shoot things. It really goes into uh, 
the way that people work in the industry. It's a great listen. It comes out on a regular basis. They have released 12 podcasts. I believe that um, only so many are available on iTunes, and I th- I don't know whether they're going to add the rest. Um, possibly not. Uh, I hope they do add them all to, to iTunes, because I think iTunes is probably the easiest way of actually listening to a podcast these days. Um, but there there are a number of episodes that are missing from iTunes. So if you go to the Hungry Eye website, the link will be in the usual place. Um, then you can catch up with the rest of those missed episodes as well. So that's the Hungry Eye podcast. Great magazine, great podcast. I recommend you have a listen to it. The next link is, well, it's Lens again. I keep on coming back to the New York Times, uh, mainly because I don't think there's actually any other website out there at the moment that is doing the type of work that that Lens is. I, credit to the New York Times. They have put together a fantastic website, fa- fantastic set of people, and they get some fantastic images on the site. And that's really all that matters. Sadly, none of the UK papers seem as though they're interested in having a dedicated photography site. Uh, about the only one who have taken... S- a bit of an interest and have developed what you could say was almost like a photography blog like uh, the big picture that the Boston Globe do would be the Daily Mail. They've started adding photos on there, but it's sort of half-hearted, I think. And also the Mail is a bit of a... It's not a very popular paper in this. It's, well, I say it's not a popular paper. It sells a lot and it has a very busy website. Uh, but they seem as though they target various different areas. So whether they think that a photography website is going to bring uh, more viewers in and get them more revenue for, uh, for advertising, etc. So is it a commercial aspect uh, that they're considering rather than the photography uh, side of it? Anyway, Lens is just about the best place you can go if you're interested in photojournalism. Like I've said before, a couple of the stories that I'm mentioning today have come from that site. They update on a regular basis, virtually every day, in fact. And the first story uh, just goes to show the sort of diversity in there. Really, these are sort of like wildlife shots, underwater shots. They're by a photographer called David Dubelet. Um, he's worked for the National Geographic on a number of occasions. He's had f- more than 70 photo stories in that magazine. He's done a dozen books and countless other exhibits across the world. Quite honestly, his work is absolutely superb. If you can imagine sort of like a split screen, part underwater, part above water, that amply describes a lot of his images. They are very, very cleverly put together. Technically, they're quite brilliant. A f- rather interesting point that he makes is a lot of these images will be incredibly difficult if not impossible to do with film but with the improvements in digital photography over the years it's enabled him to take pictures that otherwise would be virtually impossible to get otherwise the second picture in the gallery um, is one that I quite like I would love to have a print of this actually it just goes to show how the split-screen technique um, really works because it's got penguins at the top of the picture on an an ice floe and then underneath it shows them gliding and flying and swimming and everything under under the waves. 
underneath. Um, a very simple photo to look at. Um, very striking photo to look at, but I can imagine it was probably pretty difficult to get. A lot of the other pictures in there, there's a number f image number four is of a, a manta with this beam of light being shone into the water and the plankton's uh, started to collect around where the, the light is and the manta's going in for a feed and it's it's almost got a science fiction quality to it. It almost looks like a, a spaceship about to dock. Uh, mantas are amazing looking animals. Uh, the other one is number eight which again is uh this one is of a stingray and there's there's a boat it, it's just the split screen technique uh i call it split screen but of course you know it's just one part of the camera below the water and the rest of it above it just brings to life the fact that there there is something going on below the waves uh, the, the waves themselves are very nice, but we tend to only see part of the story when we're on the sea. Sometimes maybe that's a good thing, but uh, it's a great collection of images uh, by David Dublet, and I would certainly recommend that you have a look at them. The next series of images are Dale Morris. He's done some portraits of wildlife in southern Africa. Wildlife photography sort of has its own little techniques and things and some photographers decide that they want to get something out of the ordinary and Dale Morris's portraits of these animals certainly the case he's gone for low down uh, in a lot of cases almost well at ground level um, looking towards the animal as though you were something like a blade of grass just about to be eaten um, there's all sorts of images in the gallery. There's, uh, gallery. there's a, a brilliant one that's image number four of a scorpion, apparently one of the more nasty scorpions you can uh, meet in the desert. I believe it's a Namibian desert. Um, an absolutely superb, stunning image of of a scorpion, but I don't think I would particularly like to get that close to something that unpleasant. There's a sense of humour in some of the images... He's also got some um, images of the the bush bushmen of the Kalahari. There's a great collection of images in there. If you like wildlife, if you like Africa, if you like photos, great portraits of people, then I would certainly recommend you have a look at Dale Morris's work. Talking about stories and people, I am going to mention Steve McCurry's blog again. Steve McCurry is, McCurry is a uh, magnum photographer. He's a very good one. He's been around a lot of years now, but he's taken photographs in some very interesting places, Afghanistan, India especially. He has this fantastic blog that he updates on a fairly regular basis. He puts a lot of images on there, some of which have never been printed before. If you are into um, Asia, if you are into uh, the cultures in that part of the world, if you want to see some of his great images of Afghanistan, uh, I would take a look there. He's got some fantastic portraits as well. He's a bit of a good all-rounder, I think. I can't work out whether he's a travel photographer or whether he's a photojournalist. I think he's a bit of a blend of the two. I think he uh, he has an interest in the place even before things start 
to uh, to kick off there. Um, a lot of photographers ended up in Afghanistan because a war arrived there, uh, whether it be uh, the war against the Russians or whether it be a more recent conflict against uh, the Taliban. He was there before that in the 80s, arguably when the Russians were there, but he would concentrate on Afghan life. He just wouldn't photograph the war. He would photograph the people and in some cases actually showed what the conflict was about better than any of the conflict images ever did. So that's Stephen McCurry's blog. If you love portraits, you're going to love his site. Okay. This next one is a bit of a difficult one for me to describe. It's called His Neighbour's Keeper and Chronicler. This is another one on the Lens Photo blog uh, by the New York Times. Um, Michael Keaton, Cincinnati Enquirer photographer. He decided that he was going to photograph a neighbour of his that uh, who was getting on in years. Um... They'd known each other a long time. They'd built up uh, a, a friendship. And towards the end of his neighbour's life, Michael decided that he was going to take some photographs of this gentleman. Um, it's not a pleasant uh, watch. It's quite sad in a lot of cases. It deals with a subject that a lot of people want to avoid. Not many people want to uh, look at the final years of uh, someone's life. But sadly, this is... This is what life is about. Eventually life does come to an end and really that's what Michael's photography is about. There's a cracking set of images, quite simple but very tastefully done and it ends at image number 13 where his his neighbour's body is, is taken out. It sounds very sad, it is very sad but it's very delicately done. And the level of trust that must have been between him and uh, his the photographer and his neighbour um, must have been colossal. It's a very delicate subject to cover, and I think Michael's done a terrific job of doing it. Not easy to look at, but then some things aren't. Okay, the final link I'm going to mention on the podcast is Lake District Mountain Panoramas. I've always had a soft spot for panoramic photography. These are especially impressive. Um, Not so much in what they try and show, which is the very beautiful Lake District uh, mountain landscape uh, up in the northwest of England, but they also blend in some of the other pursuits and things that people enjoy uh, doing up there, and that includes, of course, rock climbing. There's some absolutely superb panoramic images of climbers tackling... Uh, climbs with the the background uh, the beautiful landscape background behind them there's all sorts of images on there there isn't an outdoor sort of pursuits uh, element to them but the thing that really does shine through is the landscape itself there's an absolutely beautiful one of uh, the mist at great langsdale um superb image mist lying in the bottom of the valley and uh, another one shows someone climbing an ice face uh, which looks rather hard work actually from this image but it, it just brings across the beauty of a really beautiful part of England okay that is it everybody for this podcast this podcast has been running on time 
I hope you like those links. There will be a few bonus links included as well as usual. So, until next time, thanks very much for taking the time to download this podcast and listen to it. And I will be back with more photography links next month. check out any of the links mentioned in this podcast, go to darker-skies.com forward slash podcasts.